Welcome to another edition of the Truth Hurts program with your host, Steve Z. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts program. Well, good day, everybody. It is December the 3rd, Thursday. Almost to the end of the first week of the last month of the year that won't seem to quit, 2020. I saw an interesting video supposedly put together by Ryan Reynolds of Deadpool fame. It's a nice video of love, a love story, and it shows Satan looking for love in all the wrong places until he gets a text from a young woman, a pretty young blonde-haired girl who on the outside looks to be sweet and innocent. And then he asks her her name, and she says, 2020. How fitting. It's running all over social media. I thought it was hilarious. Anyway, it's Thursday. We still have no clear, obvious, certified winner of the 2020 presidential election. Don't forget, election day is December the 5th in Georgia, I believe, for those two Senate races. I wonder how many people have lied and said they moved to Georgia just so they could go there and vote and further the corruption that is, has been, and will be the 2020 election cycle. Congressman Steve Scalise, the House Minority Whip, Republican from Louisiana, says right now millions of Americans are struggling. But what's Pelosi's House Majority doing this week? Well, they're voting on a Tiger King bill. They're voting on a legalization of marijuana bill. Meanwhile, Nasty Nancy and her ilk are still blocking aid for small businesses and for Americans that are hurting due to the COVID-related financial downturn. They're just making excuse after excuse, reason after reason, and what do you expect? It is what it is. From the common sense files, saying you don't need guns because there are armed policemen to protect you is like saying you don't need a smoke detector or a fire extinguisher in your house because there are firemen somewhere. I just thought I'd bring that up. All the anti-Second Amendment folks saying you don't need a gun, we've got cops. Come on now, be realistic. Also, from my friends at the motorcycle track, if you're sad and ugly, buy a motorcycle and just be ugly. You'll no longer be sad. I'm thinking about ordering a couple of COVID masks, red with a Santa mustache and beard on them, so I can walk around and look like a ho, ho, ho. Yes, the rambling is going on. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. Now, if you are atheist or anti-Christian, you can fast forward through this next section. Did you know that chopping down of the Christmas tree represents the death of Jesus Christ? Putting it back up represents the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Did you know that the wreaths we hang are never-ending circles that represent eternity and also represent the crown of thorns that Christ wore upon his head? When he died for your sins? You know, candy canes were made to look like shepherd hooks, and the colors red, Jesus' blood, and white of purity are also religious in nature. The gifts represent the three gifts of the wise men brought for the baby Jesus, and that's why we exchange gifts with one another. So while you're running around trying to find the perfect gift, stop, take a deep breath, and remember, you were given the perfect gift, Christ to remove all of your sins and he has a birthday coming up on December 25th. This is the Truth Hurts program and I do like to share some of the things sent to me both on social media and via email and text. This says if you were born in the 1960s or 1970s or even the very very early 1980s Congratulations, 
If you're still alive, you survived being born to mothers who smoked and or drank while they carried you in the womb. Those mothers took aspirin, they ate blue cheese dressing and tuna from the can, and they didn't get tested every month for diabetes. Think about that. Just think about that for a moment. Then, after all that trauma, your baby beds, cots, and toys were all covered with bright lead-based paint. You had no childproof lids on medicine bottles, doors, or cabinets. When you rode your bicycles, you had no helmet. Not to mention, you took risks hitchhiking sometimes as a young teen. As children, you would ride in cars with no car seats, seat belts, or airbags, or in the back of a pickup truck or a van, and you had fun. You drank water directly from a hose connected to an outdoor faucet. And if you were smart, you let it run for a moment to make sure the water didn't scald you. You learned that common sense measure sometimes the hard way or sometimes by watching a friend get that hot water from that black garden hose into his mouth on a sunny day. Sometimes you would share one soft drink with four friends from the same bottle and no one died from this. You ate cake and cookies and candy and white bread and real butter and you drank soft drinks with sugar in it but you were never overweight. Why? because you were always outside playing. Hell, you would leave home in the morning and play all day long. And unless mom screamed for you to come in and eat lunch, you didn't care because you were out socializing, not socially distancing. You were speaking directly to people, not on FaceTime or on or Zoom or some other social media method of communication. You would leave in the morning and play all day as long as you were back. You know when. When the streetlights came on. No one was able to reach you all day, and you were just fine with that. And so were they. You would spend hours building go-karts out of scraps or bicycles out of old bicycle parts. And you'd ride down the hill only to realize, oops, I forgot the brakes. And after you ran into the bushes a few times, you learned how to solve the problem. You didn't have PlayStations, Nintendos, Xboxes. Hell, no video games at all. No 200 channels on the television. No DVDs, no VCRs, no DVRs. No surround sound, no mobile phones, no beepers, no text messaging, certainly no personal computer. And there was no such thing as the internet. There was no such thing as a chat room. If you wanted to speak to more than one person at a time, you did it in the front yard. And you all chatted and laughed. And yes, sometimes you argued and sometimes you even fought physically. But then at the end, there were no grudges. There was no judgment. At the end of the argument, you usually walked away as friends. And you remembered what it was that caused the argument to begin with. And if you were smart, you made sure to never bring it up again. You had real friends and you played with them outside. And if you didn't know someone, you would introduce yourself. The best days of all were when a new moving van came into the neighborhood and you got to see if a kid your age was getting out of the moving van or out of the car that followed the moving van into the driveway. You went down, you introduced yourselves, you made friends. You fell out of trees, you got cut, you broke bones and a few teeth, and there were no lawsuits from these accidents. You played with worms, mud pies made from dirt, and guess what? You didn't die. The worms didn't go in through your skin and live in you forever. You made up games with sticks and balls and rocks. And you know what? When you were told that it might poke out your eyes, it never did. You rode bikes or walked to the friend's house around the corner or down the street or even in the next subdivision. You knocked on the door, you rang the bell, or you just yelled, Hey, Timmy, come on out! Local teams, baseball, football, basketball, they had tryouts. And not everyone made the team. And not everyone who made the team got to play every down or every inning. It's just the way it was. 
Those who didn't make the team or get to play that inning or that down had to learn to deal with real, actual disappointment. The horror. Imagine. And back then, the idea of a parent bailing you out if you broke the law or the rules was completely unheard of. Parents actually sided with the law and made you respect law enforcement. There was no defund the police. There was no, oh, the cops are out to get me. It just didn't happen. In fact, after the policeman finished scolding you, he usually watched while mom and dad beat your butt. You had to learn a lesson. You had to learn that it was wrong to do whatever it was you did, and you had to pay the price. If you broke something, mom or dad would generally go into your piggy bank and take your money to make restitution. You would have to go and apologize for your actions and hand that money over to whomever you wronged. You had to apologize, and that apology had damned sure better be genuine, heartfelt, and based in reality. Otherwise, trust me, you would be doing it again. Yes, our generation had produced some of the best risk takers, problem solvers, inventors, and creators ever. These past 50 years have been an explosion of innovation and new ideas. Because you had freedom, because you had failure, because you had responsibility, you achieved success. You learned how to deal with failure, and you are here amongst us today. Congratulations, you are alive because of how you were raised, and you are happy because how you were raised. Yes, people in my generation grew up in a time before lawyers and government tried to regulate every aspect of our lives in the name of safety or for our, quote, own good. You might want to pass on this wonderful bit of information to the kids or the grandkids or any young person who thinks they've got it so very tough today. I feel sympathy and pity for them, actually. They will never know what it was that we experienced before the world became a giant victim mentality political game, pitting one side against the other side every single day. I would like to get into a little bit of politics today. Whistleblowers have said that the Postal Service labeled many of the Trump campaign mailings undeliverable. They also backdated 388,000 ballots and made hundreds of thousands simply disappear, according to the whistleblowers, who have made affidavits, legal binding documents that submit them and subject them to possible perjury charges if they're found out to be lying. Now, I want you to think about this for just a second. A postal worker, a government employee who gets a pension as long as he doesn't do anything illegal, immoral, or unethical, a person who is willing to risk his job, his paycheck, his insurance coverage, his retirement, his entire pension, he's willing to risk that to be a whistleblower. Several whistleblowers, in fact, came forward on Tuesday to cast new uncertainty on the already maligned 2020 election process. These whistleblowers are claiming that up to 288,000 ballots simply disappeared. Another 100,000 were improperly backdated and mail promoting Trump was sent to the garbage while mail for Joe Biden was being delivered. In this most extraordinary report, a U.S. Postal Service contractor said his tractor trailer filled with 144,000 to 288,000 completed mail-in ballots, which he drove between New York and Pennsylvania, simply disappeared after it landed at a Lancaster, Pennsylvania mail depot. Another whistleblower claimed that the ballots were backdated by postal workers and in Traverse City, Michigan, Trump campaign mail was put in bins labeled 
undeliverable bulk business mail, while the same type of mail for gropey Joe Biden was ordered to be delivered on time as first-class mail. A third whistleblower raised new issues about the integrity of Dominion voting machines, and these claims were all unveiled by the Armistead Project of the Thomas More Society, which has mounted an independent investigation of voting and voter registration in several key battleground states. It recently made headlines by revealing that the FBI has requested the findings of its voter integrity project. According to Philip Klein, the Twitter at Phil D. Klein says, after learning that hundreds of thousands of ballots were potentially fraudulent, the FBI has now requested to look at our data. See the statement below. The Armistead Project of the Thomas More Society retained Matt Brainerd and his team after Election Day to develop data analysis to cultivate as evidence to support election integrity lawsuits in the battleground states. We've learned that Mr. Brainerd was contacted by FBI Special Agent Young O.O.H. of the FBI Los Angeles Field Office seeking our data. Mr. Brainerd is cooperating with this request and we fully support him. This data has been used to identify hundreds of thousands of potentially fraudulent ballots in the states where we filed litigation. More about this data will be available in later writings. Tyler O'Neill writes for PJ Media about the whistleblower that drove those thousands of ballots from New York to Pennsylvania across state lines. The article says, Truck driver Jesse Morgan became a whistleblower, reporting that he drove thousands of ballots from New York to Pennsylvania. On Tuesday, a truck driver testified that he had driven thousands of ballots from Bethpage, New York, to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, two weeks before Election Day. Phil Klein, a former Attorney General of Kansas and the director of the Armistead Project of the Thomas More Society, said that the Armistead Project had indeed corroborated the truck driver's story. Klein says at a press conference, the evidence demonstrates, and it's through eyewitness testimony that's been corroborated by others in their eyewitness testimony, that between 130,000 to 280,000 completed ballots for the 2020 general election were shipped from Bethpage, New York to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. This evidence demands investigation. This evidence demands answers. Now, he reported, like I said earlier, that the FBI is working with the Armistead Project, as well as U.S. Attorneys General, in various jurisdictions to get to the bottom of this story. Jesse Morgan is the truck driver that was involved, and he told his story at the press conference. He said, quote, I drove a tractor trailer for the U.S. Postal Service. I'm a subcontractor. I drive a route from Lancaster, Pennsylvania to Bethpage, New York to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania and back to Lancaster, he explained. On October 21st, when I arrived for my usual route for Bethpage, an expediter made three references to ballots that were being loaded into my trailer, including saying, hey, you have ballots today. They were complete ballots. He saw envelopes that had handwritten return addresses on them. The truck driver says he recalled receiving 24 Gaylord boxes full of ballots stacked on top of one another. He says they were complete ballots. I didn't think much of it at the time. When he arrived in Harrisburg, Morgan said he was not allowed to offload the mail. He said, I was made to wait for roughly six hours from 9.15 a.m. to nearly 3 p.m., all of this is weird. After waiting six hours, he went inside to see the expediter. He was then told to wait for the transportation supervisor, an official Morgan had never before dealt with. Morgan says, he's a top guy. He's the kind of guy that would speak to my boss. The supervisor told me to drive to Lancaster without being unloaded in Harrisburg, Morgan said. I knew the ballots were loaded for Harrisburg. He also recalled asking for his load ticket, a slip that shows he arrived and a late slip to prove why he had been delayed. He says the supervisor refused to give him the slip. I then drove to Lancaster, unhooked my trailer in its normal place, and drove my truck back to the place where I always park it. The next day, it just got weirder. As I arrived in Lancaster, my trailer was gone. 
It wasn't there anymore. He says, since I started driving that Bethpage route, I've always had trailer number 10R1440. He noticed because he said he really liked that trailer. What happened on October 21st, he said, was a series of unusual events that cannot be a coincidence. I know I saw ballots with return addresses filled out, thousands of them, thousands, loaded onto my trailer in New York and headed for Pennsylvania. As things became weirder, I got to thinking and wondering why I was driving completed ballots from New York to Pennsylvania. I didn't know why, so I decided to speak up. Colonel Tony Schaefer, who's working with the Armistead Project team, said the organization had backed up Morgan's story. Klein said sources told him Morgan's story matched up perfectly on how you would insert fraudulent mail into the stream. At the press conference, other whistleblowers spoke about postal workers delivering Joe Biden campaign mail while they were discarding mail from the Trump campaign. These all deserve serious investigation before Gropey Joe and Camel Toe can take office. So, the project has uncovered potential flaws and fraud in ballots and voter registration in several states that have been certified in the election counts in favor of Gropey Joe Biden and Camel Toe Harris. In this press release and in press conferences, the group said the whistleblowers found election officials in mostly Democratic areas manipulated ballots and campaign mail, potentially influencing the outcome. The whistleblower accounts released today detail the failure of election officials in blue jurisdictions to maintain ballot chain of custody, allow for the potential infusion of fraudulent ballots, and these accounts include photographs of individuals improperly accessing voting machines and a detailed eyewitness account of the breaking of sealed boxes of ballot jump drives and commingling of those jump drives with others. The legal outfit also said, the accounts also reveal multi-state illegal efforts by United States Postal Service workers to influence the election in at least three of six swing states. Details include potentially hundreds of thousands of completed absentee ballots being transported across three state lines and a trailer filled with ballots simply disappearing in Pennsylvania. In previewing today's whistleblower accounts, the Armistad Project said postal subcontractor Jesse Morgan on October 21st moved 144,000 to 288,000 completed mail-in ballots from Bethpage, New York to Lancaster, Pennsylvania where his trailer holding the ballots simply disappeared. Postal subcontractor Nathan Peace, or Pease, is told by two separate postal workers on two separate occasions that the USPS in Wisconsin was gathering over 100,000 ballots on the morning of November 4th, the day after the election, to backdate the ballots so that the ballots could be counted even if they arrived after the statutory deadline. And a computer expert, Gregory Stenstrom of Pennsylvania, witnessed a vendor of Dominion machines and local election officials downloading and updating counting machines in violation of the election system protocol, and they witnessed the commingling of machine jump drives in violation of election protocols, rendering audits impossible without direct forensic access to the machines. Additionally, postal workers in Traverse City, Michigan, Coropolis, Pennsylvania, Erie, Pennsylvania, and Elkins Park, Pennsylvania, have indicated widespread malfeasance in the Postal Service, including backdating ballots, ordering Trump mail to be placed in the undeliverable bulk business mail bin, and emphasizing to postal workers that all Biden mail will be delivered on time. But Steve, CNN and MSNBC and CBS and CNBC and ABC, they all said there was no election fraud. How can you say this? You, Steve Z, must be lying. Listen, 
I want to explain something to you all. Do you remember the so-called whistleblower that so-called blew the whistle on the Trump impeachment? And it turned out to be a paid Democrat operative? There was no whistleblower in the Donald Trump issue. A name was never given out freely. Freedom of Information Act briefs had to be put into place and investigation after investigation after investigation by conservative-leaning media journalists finally dug up the name and the identity of the so-called whistleblower who had no first-hand knowledge, no eyewitness accounting of any of the accusations made against your president, Donald J. Trump. And yet, now we have signed, sworn affidavits legal documents under the penalty of perjury, under the penalty of losing a job and a pension and jail time, not to mention fines. We have actual named whistleblowers and the mainstream media is simply trying to blow them off and say they're not legitimate. Once again, as always, the double standard is alive and well and is being used against the conservatives in America, attempting to disenfranchise some 74 million of us who know the election was tampered with, who know for a fact, based on not only looking at the crowds of people supporting Donald Trump, as opposed to the five or six supporting Joe Biden in rallies, town hall meetings, etc. We know damned well this election was taken. It is what it is. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. And now I'm about to offend someone else. It's Merry Christmas. It's not Happy Holidays. It is Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. It's not we wish you a Happy Holidays. We wish you a Happy Holidays. Bah humbug. It is Merry Christmas. It is a holiday season meant to honor the birth of Jesus Christ, the man who came and died for your sins. And no, I'm not getting ultra-religious here, but I just hate when they co-opt Christmas and try to de-Christianize it. It is indeed Merry Christmas, and if I offend you by saying Merry Christmas, please do us all a favor and turn off the program. I'm sure there's some liberal atheist program you could be listening to right now. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. Oh, this one's funny. I'll share it with you. Two hours into my first day of work as a Walmart greeter, an ugly woman came in with her two kids. Hearing her swearing at them, I said, Good morning. Welcome to the Walmart. Nice kids. Are they twins? The mom answered, Hell no, they ain't twins. The oldest one's nine and the other one's seven. Why the hell would you think they're twins? Are you blind or just stupid? I replied, Madam, I'm not blind or stupid. I just couldn't believe someone slept with you twice. You have a nice day and thank you for shopping at Walmart. My supervisor said I probably was not cut out for this line of work. <laughs> Sorry, folks, that one is funny. I don't care who you are. That there is funny right there. Yes, it is. And this just in, a judge on Thursday today denied a motion by a lawyer for Kyle Rittenhouse, the United States teenager accused of fatally shooting two rioters and wounding a third during summer protests and riots in Wisconsin to dismiss two of the lesser charges against him. The shootings occurred in August in Kenosha, Wisconsin, amid civil unrest sparked by the shooting of the criminal Jacob Blake, a black dude. Rittenhouse's lawyer said he was helping protect property and that he acted in self-defense, and video evidence overwhelmingly supports that claim. Rittenhouse, who was 17, was charged with first-degree reckless homicide and five other criminal counts related to the shootings, in which two thug protesters, who were out doing no good, of course, were killed, and a third one was wounded. I'm not even going to mention the two slime bags' names that got killed. 
The charges also include one count of illegal possession of a weapon and a count for allegedly endangering the safety of a journalist. Give me a break. Mark Richards, a lawyer for Rittenhouse, filed a motion this week seeking to have the weapons charge and the count related to the reporter tossed, arguing that a reasonable person could not conclude those crimes were committed. At a pre-trial hearing on Thursday, Lauren Keating, a Kenosha County Judicial Court Commissioner, denied the motion, saying the charges could be challenged during the trial. Rittenhouse was extradited in late October from his home state of Illinois back to Kenosha, Wisconsin to face charges. Rittenhouse has become somewhat of a celebrity to the conservative movement for his political right supporters. He posted a $2 million bail after a public fundraising campaign sent him enough money to get out. If you can, if you can still find it on YouTube, look at the video. The kid was obviously defending himself from attack by at least three thugs who were attacking him. And three against one? I don't care what you're holding in your hand. A stick, a rock, a knife, or a gun. Three against one is never a fair fight. And if you're armed, you should have the right to defend yourself. Good luck, Mr. Rittenhouse. Let the fake book censorship continue. According to the Associated Depressed, Facebook will remove COVID-19 vaccine-related misinformation as they see fit. According to London, the Associated Press says Facebook said today it will start removing false claims about COVID-19 vaccines in its latest move to counter a tide of coronavirus-related online misinformation. In the coming weeks, the social network will begin taking down any Facebook or Instagram posts with false information about vaccines that have been debunked by experts. Which experts, you ask? Why, public health experts, very vaguely put. The U.S. tech giant is taking action as the first COVID-19 vaccines are being set to be rolled out. Britain this week became the first country to give emergency authorization for a vaccine developed by Pfizer in cooperation with Germany's BioNTech. Inoculations could start within days in the UK. Regulators in the US, the European Union, and Canada are currently vetting those vaccines for possible distribution later this month. Facebook said it's applying a policy to remove virus misinformation that could lead to imminent physical harm. Posts that fall afoul of Facebook's policy could include claims about vaccine safety, vaccine efficacy, vaccine ingredients, or potential side effects. For example, the company said in their blog, we will remove false claims that COVID-19 vaccines contain microchips or anything else that isn't on the official vaccine ingredient list. Yeah, like, you know, they would actually have the balls to list anything that they don't want you to know in their official ingredient list. Although I don't personally think there will be microchips in the vaccine, you never put it past people, especially with technology and nanotechnology as we have today. Now, Fakebook has taken other steps to try and stop the spread of vaccine and coronavirus-related misinformation. From March through October, it claims to have removed 12 million posts with what they call coronavirus-related misinformation. Some of the deleted posts include Donald Trump's link to a Fox News video of him saying that children are virtually immune to the virus. There's nothing wrong with that. Children are virtually immune. They're not technically immune. They're not literally immune. But they have very, very few instances of symptomatic virus effects. So in effect, they are indeed virtually immune. But you see, that doesn't fall in the Zuckerberg mantra. It doesn't fall in line with his own practices of misinformation on his network. In October, Fakebook banned ads discouraging vaccinations, though it made an exception for advocacy ads about government vaccine policies. The company has also promoted articles debunking COVID-19 misinformation and set up their own information center 
to counter those. Yes, folks, if you're relying on Fakebook for your information, for your news, I guess it's just as bad as relying on CNN, MSNBC, CNBC, ABC, CBS, or any of the other mainstream media outlets. And it looks like Fox is heading in that same direction. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. And from the us versus them files, since that's what the Democrats have done to us, as well as the liberals overseas, according to Benjamin Mueller in the New York Slimes, the U.S. and the U.K. officials are now sparring over what is being called vaccine nationalism. British and American officials sparred on Thursday morning over how Britain had beaten the United States to authorizing use of the coronavirus vaccine a debate which encompasses regulatory standards and politics that is heated up as wealthy countries vie to receive the first shipments of the vaccines. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, said that British regulators had not scrutinized the data as carefully as their American counterparts in the FDA. Fauci said, We have a gold standard of a regulatory approach with the FDA. The UK did not do it as carefully, and they got a couple of days ahead. Gavin Williamson, Britain's education secretary, said on Thursday that Britain had won the race to authorize the first fully tested coronavirus vaccine because its regulators were better than the French, the Belgians, or the Americans. He said, we've got the best medical regulators. We're in a much better country than every single one of them. Of course, those remarks drew eye rolls from British scientists, but they provoked a most serious concern that any chest beating by government ministers since Britain became the first Western country to authorize coronavirus vaccine would risk undermining the public's faith in one. Several top lawmakers in Prime Minister Boris Johnson's British government have incorrectly cast Britain's split with the European Union as the reason it authorized the vaccine first. In fact, Britain remains under the bloc's regulatory umbrella when it comes to drugs and vaccine approvals and was able to move more quickly because of European regulations enabling it to make determinations on its own public health emergencies. While, as a political matter, Brexit may have made it easier for Britain to authorize the vaccines early, the divorce of Brexit in the European Union has made the job of its medical regulators more difficult in other ways. Jeremy Farrar, the director of the Wellcome Trust and a scientific advisor to the British government, said, Vaccine nationalism has no place in COVID or other public health matters of global significance. Science has always been the exit strategy from this horrendous pandemic. That science has been global. Roughly 800,000 doses of the Pfizer vaccine developed with BioNTech, a small German company, were being packaged at the company's Belgian manufacturing plant on Wednesday for shipment to Britain. The British government on Wednesday outlined the complicated logistics involved in its trying to distribute the new Wuhan, China novel coronavirus 19 vaccine. How and when those shipments will arrive is being kept secret, supposedly for security reasons, according to the company Pfizer and BioNTech. They said on the BBC Thursday that some of the doses were being transported through the Euro Tunnel between France and Britain. The logistics of moving, defrosting, and preparing the vaccine means it's going to be given only at 50 British hospitals in the beginning. It must be transported at South Pole-like temperatures in trays of 975 doses per tray. Now on Thursday, euphoria amongst British officials and lawmakers of having an authorized vaccine was giving way to the realization on the difficult choices that will be involved in how to administer it. Hospitals had been preparing to vaccinate doctors and nurses in the country's National Health Service first, even sending internal emails in recent days outlining the plans for scheduling the shots. 
A government advisory committee had suggested that older, more vulnerable health workers and doctors and nurses who work with fragile patients be the first in line. But by Thursday, hospital executives appeared to be having changes to their plans. The government put a priority on vaccinating nursing home workers and people aged 80 or over with previously scheduled appointments at hospitals who currently have the vaccine being shipped to them. The government has not said when other employees of their National Health Service would be eligible for vaccines. Essential workers like teachers, transportation workers, emergency medical workers, and others will not be vaccinated until people 50 and over and those with underlying health problems throughout the country receive their shots. You see, they can't make their minds up either. The advisory committee plans had made nursing home residents a top priority, but they will have to wait now until the government grapples with the added complication of distributing the vaccines outside of hospital settings. Pfizer and BioNTech have suggested that this will be manageable given that the vaccine can be stored for five days in a normal refrigerator after thawing before it loses its effectiveness. Hey, somebody want to pass me a Diet Coke and a tube of vaccine? This is the Truth Hurts Program. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. According to Fox Business, Gropey Joe Biden has indicated that he supports raising taxes to the Bush-era highs that caused economic slowdowns throughout the United States. And finally today, because I can't do it justice in the remaining amount of time I have, I'm going to play a piece from Fox Business with Stuart Varney, where he interviews Grover Norquist from Americans for Tax Reform. Take a listen. It's no secret Joe Biden wants to change tax policy. We all understand that. And it's going to affect more than just the rich. That would be my opinion and also the opinion of Grover Norquist, Americans for Tax Reform president, who joins us now. Right, I want to talk capital gains with you, Grover. As I understand it, the Biden team wants to double the top capital gains tax rate to 40%. That's just for high-income earners, if you make more than $400,000 a year. But didn't Biden also say he wants everyone, quote, every single solitary person to pay capital gains taxes at an ordinary income tax rate? That's a shocker. Well, he has stated repeatedly that he wants every single solitary American, rich, poor, uh, a lot of people obviously have capital gains inside of 401k and IRA, you sell a house, you sell property. Uh, he may have, won he sometimes says he won't tax uh, anyone who earns less than $400,000 a year. But remember, Janet Yellen, who he just uh, wants to put in a treasury, is a longtime supporter of a carbon tax, which would raise the price of a gallon of gasoline 40 cents or $10 every time you fill up your tank. They don't ask you whether you make $400,000 when you go to the uh, when you get something at a gas station, Janet Yellen's energy tax, the president's capital gains taxes, and of course the president has also said as part of the capital gains tax increase, he wants to recognize a capital gains tax when you get something from a relative. If you are given a home or inherit something or a, a family business or farm, you need to pay the capital gains tax that had built up before it was given to you and pay that in cash. So not, it doesn't roll over, it doesn't move up. Uh, you would actually have to pay the capital gains from a gift or an estate bequest the moment you got that farm yeah. business. It would tear family farms apart in the country. It certainly would. Let me just get back to capital gains uh, for ordinary people, so to speak. Let me see if I got this right. Let's suppose you make $200,000 a year. I mean, not exactly ordinary, but that's a strong income. You make 200000 bucks a year. And next year... You sell a stock and make a profit. You make a capital gain on it. Do you then have to pay, instead of the capital gains tax, you as an ordinary person would have to pay an ordinary income tax on that capital gain? Is that the way it's going to be? Well, he says that at some times. He also says you'll pay 40%, twice what, we pay, what would you pay in communist China. 
The 40% rate he wants to bring it up to is twice communist China's capital gains tax. Um, and you know, he hasn't been entirely clear some of the time, but he has said everyone will pay at least the ordinary income rate, which is higher. And remember, when you earn a lot of money one year because you sold a farm, a house, land, that's not your income usually. You may be a very average earner, but every once in a while you sell a piece of property that, and you look like you're rich. Biden wants to tax you as if you were always that uh, well-to-do, as if that was your permanent uh, income. I mean, the whole list of things that he has offered to go through, I actually have a piece on Fox Business News on your uh, website and Fox, and Fox News today on the list of horribles of tax increases that Biden, Yellen, and now Neera Tandon, who they want to head OMB, have all been supportive of in the past. He is going far to the left when he's picking people, making economic decisions and tax decisions in his administration. All right, Grover, another warning from you, and we will heed that warning. Grover Norquist, thank you very much, sir. Appreciate it. And so when Gropey Joe made the promise that he was not going to raise taxes on everybody, he put an asterisk on the end of it. They won't hold it against him when he does raise taxes. He may not raise your direct income tax rate or percentage, but with all of the backdoor taxes, fuel taxes, carbon taxes, and other increases, now they're going to tax your 401k earnings, your stock, your options, your bonds, if you sell your farm or you sell your parents' house after they die, they're going to tax the proceeds of that sale, not only as inheritance taxes, but also, again, a double dipping as income or capital gains. We'll have to see, folks. Either way you look at it, for all of the crap that the Democrats have promised Free this, free that, forgiven this, forgiven that. Give you this, give you that. New social programs, new giveaways, new handouts, new forms of welfare. Somebody has to pay for it. It's certainly not the people who have got their hands out taking all of this welfare. And it sure isn't going to be the rich because they've got lawyers to move their money to offshore accounts. It's going to be you going to be Steve Z. It's going to be people like us who work hard and already pay the bulk of all the taxes to support all of the programs that we receive zero benefit for. Think about it. I did this program a long while back about how someone making minimum wage effectively pays zero dollars a year in income tax. And in fact, because of the earned income tax credit, sometimes get money handed to them from the government. And while people who work for a living, who pay taxes, don't usually use the same services. If you're paying taxes because you make 50 grand a year or more, it's pretty unlikely that you are going to be using the social services programs that those beneath you in the income bracket are taking advantage of each and every single day of their lives. On the opposite end of that, it is very unlikely that a person making $200,000 a year is, that's not a whole hell of a lot of money. They're not able to dodge and use loopholes to keep from paying income taxes. So they do pay a much larger share, a larger percentage and a larger total dollar figure in taxes than even the guy making 50 grand a year. And certainly well more in total tax as well as percentage of tax than the guy making minimum wage. And for that, the guy making 200,000 a year is probably not putting his kids in those nasty, crime-ridden public school systems. He probably is paying taxes to support the schools, and he's also paying tuition to make sure his kids don't have to grow up and go to those schools. Yes, he's probably paying taxes for public transportation, but it's highly unlikely that he will ever board public transportation. Unless, of course, he lives in the suburbs of New York and takes the metro in every day to the city because of the extremely high taxes and other fees and expenses that are put into place to penalize people with cars in the Big Apple. 
I don't care what gropey, mopey, dopey, sleepy, creepy, touchy, feely, muttering, stuttering, puttering, mumbling, fumbling, stumbling, bumbling Joe Biden has to say. He and his party will most certainly be raising your taxes this year. That's going to do it for this edition of the Truth Hurts program. Go out there and make it a great day. And remember, Thursday's half over. Tomorrow is Friday. And we'll see you next time. I can just see this school year with children having to wear masks. And it's going to sound something like this. Hey teacher, Timmy is using his mask as a slingshot. Um, um, I got boogers in my mask. Can I get another one? Hey, my mask makes a cool hat. Look, I painted my mask with ketchup. Whee! Whee! I can twirl my mask in the air like a helicopter. I put a hole in my mask to drink my milk with my straw. Johnny's wearing his mask like a diaper. Tyler popped his ear thingy on his mask. Make Susie stop wearing her mask on her ears. Teacher, my mask fell in the potty. Jody put soap on her mask and now she's blowing bubbles. Can I try? Look, I can spit through my mask. How come her mask is pretty and mine is just plain? Tommy drew a dog on his mask and now it looks like it's pooing. Ew! Tell Marley that my mask does not have cooties on it. You see, I can't eat with my mask on. Joey's got a brown stain on his mask. Ew, he must have wiped it on his butt. Is it okay if we trade masks at recess time? My mask is better than your mask. My mask is better than your mask. Because you're a poo-poo head. You have been listening to the Truth Hurts program with your host, Steve Z. Copyright 2020, Steve Knight Productions, all rights reserved. This program is protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. We'll see you next time. <laughs>